Ladies and gentlemen, today it is just me, Jonathan. We don't need Jacob. We've done silent. We've done this. We've done that. Whatever. Today we are ranking Marvel movies. It's going to be all Disney, all Marvel. I'm in charge. I'm ready to do this. So Hello? let's talk about... Hello? Hey, what's up, man? What? Are we recording? What are you doing? What? I... I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. Like I'm a clown. Like I'm a clown. Like I'm a clown. Like I'm a clown. I'm a clown. I'm a clown. Rosebud. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Silver Screen Video. My name is Jacob. I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan, and we will not be doing whatever the fuck John was doing uh, when I walked into the virtual recording studio. Caught you red-handed, motherfucker. You did. I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, I had my list all out. I have actually been working constantly for weeks uh, with a with a whiteboard breaking down like a diagram of the best Marvel movies. So we'll <laughs> save that for another time, listeners. Yeah, we'll save that for after I die of coronavirus. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, hey, fingers crossed. Hopefully it happens soon, folks. Um, no, dude, you know how hard it's going to be to find another co-host? Like, no, I don't want you to die of COVID. Oh. If you get it and you're out of commission for a couple of months, so be it. But not, <laughs> not permanent. All right. So... Uh, well, I appreciate the sentiment. Folks, today we have got a special, special episode for you guys. It is another, which I wish I had a voice effect here where I could go like silver screen, six pack, 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 you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, that would be cool because I know people that can do it really well, but I could never do it. If I yeah. tried to do it, it would just sound so stupid. I mean, so. I just tried to do it and it sounded so stupid. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you didn't fully commit, so you were still on the outs. Right. So it worked. Well, so, folks, yeah. just uh, theater of the imagination here. Pretend that I said it and it sounded really cool, but we've got another silver screen six-pack for you uh, today. Now, we know you guys love our director episodes. We know you know, we, we know you guys love our list episodes, but we're, we're hoping to start a kind of a new franchise here. This is, uh, you know, we are the Disney, and this is like, uh, God damn it. I was trying to think of like the next Marvel franchise, but I can't think of a Squirrel Girl or something. Um, well, I was about to say, if we're going, if we're going new, new direction here, we've got to have a whole universe. We'll get other. We'll have to have everything tied in. Some post credit scenes. I like where your head's at. Oh God damn it! Never mind, folks. The point is, we're starting a. We have a new uh, little series we got going for you guys. It's called the Silver Screen Six Pack. Now we've done one of these, all right, and uh, we're gonna do them. Uh, when we can't think of something else to do. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it's a little thing we like to do where Jonathan picks three movies that I've never seen, uh, and I watch them, and then he, I pick three movies he's never seen and make him watch them, and then we talk about them. Uh, no, th no thematic unity, no, uh, no, no unity whatsoever, just three random movies that we pick that we want the other person to watch for whatever reason. Maybe because we like them, maybe because we don't like them, maybe because we don't know what to think of them, um, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we're calling it the Silver Screen Six Pack, and uh, this is our second one. If you like this, go back and listen to our first one. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, we're gonna get into it today. So so John, you want to start us off? What uh, what movies uh, did you decide that I was going to watch this week? Well, real quick, I want to point out uh, for someone in the past who has harped on me for not knowing episode uh, numbers. I will say our last six pack episode was episode 28. Go back and check it out. Uh, um, you, know, you know, I wasn't going to yeah. like look at my screen while I talked. <laughs> the other thing is you've now exposed, you've like exposed us to the fact that when we don't really have something we want it to do, that's how we're going to give birth to new ideas. We're just going to be like, well, here's another idea from the silver screen video. We don't have any other ones. Hey, necessity breeds um, invention. That's true. And the last thing I will say before I tell you what three I had you watch is at some point, I'm saying this to you and the listeners, at some point, we're going to do one of these because I hope we can do many more. I hope you guys enjoy it because I know I I enjoy talking about these movies. We're going to do one at some point and you just allow me to have the smallest amount of fun. Like, okay, at some point that's going to happen. I don't even want to hear it after one of the movies you had me watch, but Uh, let's just get into it. Okay, so you you had me watch the four hundred blows, Andre Rublev. Is that how you say it, Andre Rublev? I've been saying Andre Rublev, but I don't know either way. Yeah, okay, yeah, I agree. And then the mirror, and uh, what three movies did I get you to watch? Let me watch uh, Enemy Mine, uh, The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. I keep confusing that with confessions of a dangerous mind. Like I keep wanting to add the word confessions in there, especially, you know, but it's, uh, and I kept saying for some reason, I've seen this movie so many times and all that. I keep wanting to call it secret lives of altar boys. None of that works. So right. I can see the confusion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's one of those ties. It's one of those weird titles. Uh, and the third one is, uh, Oh, den of thieves, den of thieves. Uh, also something I kept wanting to call den of lions. Don't know why. <laughs> So, all right, man, what should we start off with? Um, actually, actually, I do know. Let's start off with um, the oldest movie on our list, uh, The 400 Blows. Uh, I want to know. This is a great one to start off with. Okay, good. Yeah, I wanted to know um, what you thought of 400 Blows. Um, I think we should introduce a new format, though. I think we should, um, to introduce the movie, the person who chose it maybe like talks a little bit about why we wanted to watch it or why we wanted the other person to watch it. You know what I'm saying? Hundred percent. Oh yeah, I'm I'm good. Uh, for that. Maybe this is something we should have hammered out off pod. But hey, you know, we're we're doing things on the probably. fly. doing things on the fly. And I might edit it, but probably not. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to watch 400 Blows because we've had a lot of conversation about kind of doing like essential art house, and we did an uh, an essential art house episode. Um, but and maybe we'll do more in the future. But I, I you had kind of talked about kind of being interested in kind of pursuing those like essential art house movies, you know, the, the ones that are, um, you, you know, kind of like highly touted that you, for some reason, have never gotten around just seeing before, you know, sort of blind spots. Uh, like we all have our cinematic blind spots. And so this is, oh, yeah. um, this is a 400 blows is a pretty essential, uh, uh, kind of classic French art house movie from, I think 1959, it's uh, yeah, that's correct. One of the very first movies of the French New Wave. We've talked about a few French New Wave movies, mostly, uh, and I fa- in fact, I think only Godard is the only uh, French New Wave person we've really talked about a lot on here. But uh, 
But yeah, so that's that was kind of my motivation for picking this one. So yeah, what did you think about it, man? It seems like you liked it. I absolutely loved it for several reasons. I will say this. Um, this is a, was it Francois Truffaut? Is that how you say? Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Truffaut, in my opinion, has a better grasp of, of what they're trying to do with this French new wave than Godard. That's just my opinion. I I've only seen, I think I've seen two Truffaut movies. This is my second one, but I, this movie felt more complete and, and better from a narrative perspective and from a film perspective than any Godard movie we watched. And for those of you that haven't listened to our Godard episode, I wasn't a fan of it. Like I respect it and I get it, but I just wasn't a fan of it. So I don't know how you feel about Truffaut and, and Godard. Um, but I like this on a neck on like another level compared to any of those films. Yeah. Godard, I feel like is more, he, he's interested in kind of pushing the medium for really kind of stretching the boundaries of what you can do with film. Whereas I feel like Truffaut is definitely more rooted in kind of what we understand as like conventional uh, cinema, I think, you know, narrative characters, you know, cinematography, things like that. Whereas Godard is interested in, in really kind of blowing up the whole thing. So no, I, I agree with that. I think that Godard, it seems like he wants to be a bit more, not to demean Truffaut, but he wants to be a bit more artistic with it. So he is trying to get more out of like, what can you do with this opposed to Truffaut, who, in my opinion, he told a story about a child in this, about a child and family. And it was a pretty straightforward narrative. There wasn't really anything weird or anything abstract going on in 400 Blows. Right. He's just trying to make a good movie. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's another movie we're going to talk about that has to do with children getting in trouble and stuff. And I really enjoyed this because of that. Like, first, I don't think anything the kid did was that bad. Right. I fucking loved it when him and his friend were smoking cigars. It got like I, I flat out just laughed out loud <laughs> when the dad when the dad comes in and he's like, it's like a smokehouse in here or whatever. And he's like, I'm taking those two cigars out of your allowance. <laughs> and it's like, that's just epic. Uh, uh. But um, either way, man, it's like it was so relatable. He's running around. He's just doing shit. It reminded me of like when I was a kid, like all the shit you're not supposed to do. If you got an opportunity to steal something, you take it. You smoke, you drink, you think it's cool. You're like a 12 year old kid. Like who gives a shit? Right. And it's just it was really fun. But I mean, on the other hand, there was some darkness to it because it was like his parents were just shitty. Right. Like it's clear they didn't necessarily care about him, but I mean, you kind of get that with a few of the boys in this movie. So, uh, from the only issue I have is the end of it, which I feel like I can spoil it because it's 19. Actually, no, I don't want to spoil it. If you haven't seen 400 blows, watch it. It's on criterion. It's on HBO max, but you know, you've seen it. So you know what I mean? The ending to me was a bit, it left too much to my imagination. And then I started to put together a story of what could happen. And that story is not very good. Like, right. So yeah, you know, that's my only beef with it. I like, um, yeah, I think 400 blows is probably one of, one of the most quintessential coming of age movies. Not so much in the sense of like, um, not so much in the sense of like cultural familiarity because, you know, movies like stand by me and the Goonies and stuff like that, you know, definitely has more like cultural purchase for Pete, for Americans of our age. But, um, 
the 400 blows is just a really, I, I feel like insightful, um, uh, portrayal of just how, what, what being a kid is like, you know, and how frustrating it can be and how scary it can be and how, um, fun and carefree it can be. And, you know, when you're, you're kind of that adolescent age, when you're on a, um, when you're a child, but you're, you know, kind of teetering on the edge of, you know, adolescence or, or whatever. And it's, um, you're right. It is, it is kind of profoundly moving, you know, the end, which I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we can talk about the ending. It's, it, I feel like knowing the ending doesn't really even take away from, from, from watching the movie, but definitely watch it if you, That's if true. you haven't, but yeah. the ending, you know, he, he's running on the beach and honestly, I don't even remember the plot details. Um, even though I just watched it. Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's at this, like this camp that's very similar to like what we would call military school probably. Oh, that's right. That's and right. Yeah. it's like the sixties. So they can be more abusive and shit, but yeah, he breaks out and he's running down the beach and, and yeah, I was curious how they were going to wrap it up. Cause I looked at how much time was left and I was like, Jesus, there's like two minutes left. What the fuck is about to happen? Right. And it just sort of ends on a, on a freeze frame. Um, of 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 the kid running on the beach, uh, kind of a close up, and it, or maybe not a close up, but like a almost close up. And I well, he zooms in. There's a freeze frame, and then the camera kind of zooms in. Oh, that's right, and okay. it's just really weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that may be kind of the most quote unquote experimental thing about the movie. And normally, I'm not a big fan of ambiguous endings, but. Also, I mean, how, how, how are you going to end this movie? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it kind of strikes me as a movie without ending. Like, what is the ending? You, you kind of either have to, if, if you decide you're going to do a unambiguous ending, it either has to be a happy ending or a sad ending. And it's kind of, I don't know, it feels kind of nice to have it just be neither. Like, the last, you know, vision we have of him is just running on the beach. Who knows what's going to happen, you know? Um, and I will say, um, I don't know if you know this, but for our listeners out there too, um, there are sequels to this movie. The Francois Truffaut did a, um, a series of sequels to this movie. There's one called bed and board and one called, uh, I don't remember what they're all called, but there's like four sequels that are about this person, this kid's life, Antoine Denal, his life, um, as he kind of grows up and turns into an adult. Um, so that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely something in the fact that like there actually is a sequel to it. So you, you do kind of are able to figure out what happens to him. Um, well, it almost feels like I, I understand that they wanted to make a sequel. Whoever did it, did Truffaut do it? Yeah. Truffaut did all of them. He he did like, it, it was, it's almost like a boyhood thing where he like, he took the same actor and like you know, waited him for him to age a few years and then did a movie and then waited for him to age a little more and then did a movie and yeah, same actor. And it's all directed by Truffaut. It was like a career long project of his. That's interesting. I just don't know how necessary it is, but who am I to question like what his motivations were, but I just find it a bit, a bit strange. I personally, I thought it was going to end now, mind you, I don't know how cold the water is. So my idea might be completely insane but I thought it would have been interesting if he had just kind of got in the ocean and started swimming away because 
I would have I would have been more likely to jump on with that because I'd be like, well, this represents freedom. Like this is what like for this moment, they can't take this away from him when he inevitably gets caught and brought back. But just seeing him run on the beach, I I don't know, man. I, that's my that's my only beef because aside from that, this movie was perfect. Like this is the five star movie. Like I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, no, I like that idea of saying like it's it, like the ambiguity is fine, but just different you know like that's like i like i like that idea you know yeah i i, I mean what can you really say about this movie it's, it's a classic um one thing i particularly like about it is the the realism of it i guess i mean i guess it was realistic i don't know what paris looked like in 1960 but the kind of we're just kind of following this kid around on the streets like and it's just kind of it's it almost reminded me the cinematography almost reminded me of bicycle thieves this kind of uh, neorealist uh, vision of just, you know, uh, Paris in 1959, you know, um, and it, it, it was just really stunningly beautiful, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison. I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought all of it, I don't know what the version, I because I watched it on HBO Max. I don't know if that's like a restored version or what, but I was blown away by how good it looked in general. Yeah, I, I imagine it's probably some kind of restored version, um, probably similar to the one on Criterion. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad you liked it, man. It's uh, it, it's a classic, and I know you you like uh, coming-of-age stories, and I figured this would be um, this would be one that you would enjoy. So, yeah, I'm definitely glad you liked it. Yeah, I find it strange that completely unplanned, we had no idea what the other one was going to pick, that you gave me the 400 blows and I gave you the Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. Right. Because yeah. they're so similar in terms of overall subject matter. Well, like, let's just let's just jump into it, man. Uh why did you uh why did you want me to watch uh, Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys? With with this movie, uh you know, it's one of those blockbuster specials. It came out in 2002. I would not have known this movie existed had it not been for blockbuster just giving independent cinema a, a, a an, an outlet of being like, yeah, this is this is what what we do now. It's based on a book. I've never read it. I'm going to because they because the guy, same guy that wrote the book helped adapt the movie. But uh, I've just I've never got around to it for some reason. But this movie was special. It is so relatable. I feel like me and you grew up in similar ways. We've obviously talked about how we were raised in the past on the podcast in, in relation to the film we like. And uh, there's something special about this movie. I just watched it again last night. I've probably seen it a dozen times or so over the last 18 years. And uh, it still holds up to me. Like it, it was just it's, it's a really relatable movie, I feel, for both of us on some level. But it's also one of those movies that you watch and it's a catch-22 because it's emotionally crushing, honestly. Right. So I just want you to watch it mainly because I wanted to hear what you thought about it. It's just one of those movies where it's like I really would like to hear what someone else who grew up in a similar experience, et cetera, et cetera, like what you would feel about this movie because I think it holds up. I think it's it's a – it's just perfect. I love the way they did it. Everything stylistically, the way they told the story, the characters, everything. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it and see if you liked it. Yeah. You know, I liked it. I liked it. Um, I didn't love it. And I think there are just a couple of things about this that really just kind of didn't 
I don't know, didn't hold water for me. I mean, we should mention this is a coming of age story about uh, some basically kids in Catholic school. It's got uh, a young Emil Hirsch, uh, young, uh, what's his name? Kieran Culkin. Is that his name? Yeah, there's Kieran Culkin, Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone. Yeah, it's right. got D'Onofrio. I mean, it's got a great cast. Right. And uh, shit, why am I blanking on her name? Jodie Foster plays a nun. Um, yeah. They Jody grew up Foster, in like a Catholic yeah. school. And, you know, I, I thought the coming of age section of it where these kind of boys are, you know, kind of confronting reality for the first time. I thought it was particularly moving. And I thought the acting was probably the strongest part. I think... You know, th- these kids are really, you know, you can see why they grew up in, into, you know, mostly successful movie careers. Uh, they're they're really talented. You know, Emil Hirsch and uh, Kieran Culkin are the, the main uh, characters, they're, their kind of relationship back and forth. And I, you know, I really like that kind of awkward um, where Emil Hirsch gets a girlfriend. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, like, how do we navigate this now that you have a girlfriend? Like we're still friends, aren't we? You know what I mean? But like, we don't spend as much time together because now you have a girlfriend and I'm not mad about that, but I'm kind of jealous, but jealous really isn't the word. I'm just kind of confused. You know, I I love that kind of ambiguity because I mean, who can, you know, who can not relate to that? And I liked, another thing I liked how the, um, you know, Jodie Foster and Brian Dennehy play the, I don't know, headmaster. I I don't know, a priest and a nun. Who are like teaching at this school? Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, not Brian. Oh, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Why did I say Brian Denny? I don't know, man. I thought that you must have like been thinking about something Denny he did. That was just a really funny <laughs> con- confusion on those two. Vincent actors. D'Onofrio and Jodie Foster. Uh, they play the uh, <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio and Julianne Moore play the uh, priest and nun. Yeah, you know, I, I. I liked the. Uh, sorry, I'm 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 a little taken aback. How you just left me hanging on my Julianne Moore joke like that. Um, Julianne Moore. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I should have responded. <laughs> I said that, and you didn't say anything, and I was like, wait, does he now? Does he think I actually think Julianne Moore was in the movie? But um, anyways, <laughs> um, the one thing I liked about the uh, one thing I liked about their characters is like in so many like coming of age stories there's always like the benevolent adult you know that's like the cool adult that's like listen kid i know things are tough but they're gonna be okay and you know what a lot of times people don't have figures in their life like that most of the time as a kid and well i say most of the time i don't know what most people's experience are but i know my experience as a kid there was no cool older people they were always you know, Jodie Foster and Vincent D'Onofrio, their characters are literally like riding these kids hard until the very end of this movie. They, they, they never let up. You know, they never like Jodie Foster to the end is like, I'm fucking worried about you kids. The devil's going to take you. God isn't going to save you or whatever, you know, and like. I like that aspect of their character because it feels real to me. You know, sometimes you're a kid and part of the loneliness of being a kid is looking up and being like, oh, my God, no one actually is listening to me or no one actually seems to really give a shit about me, you know, and I really like that aspect of it. Well, I'll tell you, if we're if we're just look, this movie was very relatable for me when I watched it in 2002. Like, I don't know. 
obviously, uh, I know we both went to the same school and stuff and went to church and all that, but I don't know if we participated in the same after school activities. Um, but in terms of doing stupid shit, drinking, smoking, like just trying to find your way in this like religious driven right. world, uh, it, it kind of, it was very relatable for me because obviously you're, we're all confused in high school. Like we're all like confused and like, not sure what we're going to do, depending on the amount of pressure on you. Very few high school kids have it figured out. So this movie adds the religious layer to it, which is where it kind of became more relatable, replace Catholicism with baptism. And there you go. So it's, uh, it, it was, it was very relatable. The, the thing I didn't like about her character and the thing that I, I cause I didn't like, there was nothing about her character. I, I've never liked her character because it's a dangerous idea. And we grew up with this. It's a dangerous idea of when someone thinks that they have your best interest in mind. Right. So instead of trying to be like, super worried and so mean and punishment driven all the time, which I know the Catholics can't help that part, but uh, why don't you try showing a little guidance and like being a little involved? And I think that, that, that was like th this movie, if there is a shortcoming, it is the fact that the, those two main characters, D'Onofrio and her were a bit, there was no closure there. Like the end of it, it was not, with her and Emil Hirsch in that small room before he read, like there, there wasn't anything there for me and I would have liked a little more out of it, but that just, it wasn't going to happen because it wasn't set up properly. See, that's what I liked it about it. Me. That's that, that's what I liked about it. And that felt real. I mean, it definitely maybe would have been like, you know, more comfy or more like nicer if that would have happened. But that's the part that felt really relatable to me because well, no, I didn't want her to be nice. I just wanted him to just finally be like, go fuck oh, yourself. Oh, like, I'm okay. like, yeah, I, I didn't want her to flip a coin, flip a flip around and just start being like endearing and loving. It's like, I wanted him to just finally be like, because if there's no better time to be set free than after what just you, what you right. just witnessed, like you should be feeling pretty free now. That's right. what I wanted. Was was him to just be like, yeah, go fuck yourself. I'm done right. with this yeah, shit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, yeah, okay, that makes sense now. Um, you know, I, uh, I can kind of see that, but I also like, I don't know. I, I think there's some shortcomings to this movie. One of them is there is like, it's intercut with animated scenes that are like supposed to be like taking from like a comic book that this kid is writing. And I'm going to be honest, this absolutely did not work for me. I don't like it. Don't care. I don't care about the parallels. I don't want to see the comic book drawings like, or, or seeing the comic book drawings is enough. You know what I mean? Cause you see the art that these kids are doing and it looks cool. And it looks like shit that a fucking talented high school kid would do. But like seeing them all kid, seeing these full sequence animation with like, you know, all this like action happening. It looks like a fucking anime. Like, dude, I don't, I'm sorry. I think that was a big mistake. Like, I don't, I don't understand why you would do that. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. It feels like needless, uh, like spicing it up or something. I don't know. I didn't care for it at all. Well, we're going to move on to the next movie now. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, you know, honestly, I get it. Like, I loved it. I thought at the time it was so original and so cool because of how they're choosing to tell the story with these parallels. But I can see 
watching it now, you know, it's been out for 18 years. You could argue that some parts haven't aged well. It can be a bit jarring. Like, I'll definitely admit that. You know, I'll and I'll just get this out really quick because I know you have strong feelings about this movie. But, you know, I know it's based on a true story and all that. But, like, just because something is true, I think, doesn't mean it has to be in a movie. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this gentleman alone subplot, dude, I don't know, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking spoil it. I don't care. Uh, watch the movie if this. If this oh yeah, go for it to you, dear listener. But no, you can't frame it like that. You can't. Hey, I'm about to tell you this plot about incest. Watch it if it sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jenna Malone's character basically admits to Emil Hirsch that she is uh, that her brother has molested her. Basically, that is how she frames him. She says, my brother molested me. And then Emil Hirsch feels weird about it and she feels guilty. And so it's kind of an interesting thing like, oh, well, like, yeah, this would be kind of a fucked up like thing to happen, obviously. And like, how would you feel about that? You know, and it's kind of complicated, but then it kind of twists around and it kind of twists around and, uh, she admits to Emil Hirsch that she asked him to like, I guess have sex with her. We should say these are like what? 12 year olds maybe. Yeah. She, well, she, she basically took advantage of her brother when he was high. Oh, that's right. And then after it happened the first time, she kind of blackmailed him with it because obviously if that shit got out, you'd be fucked. So, so, so yeah, she, which look, maybe this is true. I don't know. Weird shit happens, but you, you, here's what I, here's what my, my gripe is. You can't put this weird shit in a movie that looks very conventional on the outside, because this is a very conventional kind of coming of age story with these absolutely batshit elements thrown in. Right. It would be like if you had peanut butter Falcon and then the peanut butter Falcon was like, Oh, in the middle of the movie was like, Oh, by the way, uh, I fucked my mom and she likes it. Like, <laughs> Like it's this, it's, I'm sorry, but it's like this, like, like the things that I like about the movie are kind of the more conventional aspects. It's like a conventional coming of age story. I like that. I like the bonding. I like the scenes of them, like stealing the statue and doing all this cool shit. But then in the middle of it, you have this insane, insane incest plot line. And then I'm just going to say it at the end when he gets fucking killed by a panther is insane why is that in this movie okay first of all i don't know about i'm gonna read the book so i don't don't know how much because we have to assume the the crazy shit like that like the shit of being literally being killed by a cougar and and her and what her brother like what her and her brother did that shit has to be in real life there's no way they made that up i I, there's yeah there's no way when but but my thing is I disagree with you wholeheartedly. I think that it doesn't matter how standard a movie looks, how conventional it looks, that if if these things happen and you're following a story beat that was adapted, then th- then yeah, they may seem like out of left field, but that's also life. Like life is bizarre shit that happens out of left field. So whenever you have the incest subplot, which sounds crazy to say, but I mean <laughs> fucked up shit happens. And <laughs> And then you have what happens at the end. I mean, dude, I'll be honest with you. This movie I watched when it came out in 2002 
And this was the first movie that taught me about things like foreshadowing because his death was foreshadowed several times in this movie. And the most obvious time was when he picked up the dog because he said, there's nobody coming. He's like, there's no one coming to save this dog. We have to do it. Then the dog dies. And then he's like, don't ever tell me to get real. So then when he dies at the end, he's like, you know, someone like get somebody like someone's coming. It's like, that was the whole thing. Like this kid wanted something that he wasn't going to get. And like, does that, that's, that's another reason I love this movie is because it really did teach me some interesting things about storytelling because it just was like, once you watch it the first time, then you revisit it. You'll be like, okay, well now I see. So I, I like that aspect of it. The incest is a little weird, but like I said, I have to assume it really happened. We have to assume that that shit happened in real life. So if they're adapting it, they had to put it in the movie. They can't just not. Yeah, you can. What are you talking about? It's your movie. You can do whatever you want to do. No, not if you want to be. Dude, Chris Furman helped. He, he wrote the book, and then he helped adapt it. There's no way that they're going to leave a beat like that out. That's that important. Okay, well, then if, like, if you're going to put that, that in, it, I'm sorry, but you have to make a completely different movie. Nah, I disagree. I think I think it works. Uh, obviously, uh, I, you can make the argument about the comic book part. Like I get that. Like I, I, I've read that some people didn't like that, but the rest of it, no. I think I think you can make it work because, dude, this came out at a time when you had so many movies: Chum Scrubber, Thumb Sucker, like Squid in the Well. You had all these weird, bizarre movies. Squid in the Well being fi- by far the most basic one, but in terms of coming of age tales and kids with issues and just bizarre indie like films of this kind, like they were all happening. So it's like that was just the thing at the time. So it was more acceptable, I guess, than it is now. Because like now you can't have a coming of age story without it being like not as much fun, unfortunately. Uh- uh okay I, i'll say this this will be my last word on it i think i enjoyed certain parts of this movie but i think there is there's a very there, there's a very like when you say squid in the whale another one that comes to mind is like little miss sunshine right these kind of indie movies that are like heartwarming and like yeah, a fox searchlight picture you know what i mean like those kind of like early 2000s and i watched a lot of these too i never watched this one but I watched a lot of those like, you know, early to mid 2000s, like indie movies. And this one felt to me, it didn't feel like it was going all the way into indie movie territory. It felt like it was trying to straddle the line between Stand By Me and Little Miss Sunshine. And everything that was Stand By Me, I loved. And everything that was like, trying to be some kind of edgy indie movie with stuff that I didn't like. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just kind of found myself walking away being like, I, I wish it was just a Emil Hirsch and Kieran Culkin, like fucking around in the woods and just getting into the shenanigans for like 90 minutes, you know, like the, yeah, I know. And Miami vice sucks. How you like them apples? <laughs> Oh God! All right, let's move uh, on, folks. This is gonna. Uh, this has happened well, before, and this will continue to recur as long as we do these. There will be these <laughs> random ass movies from between 1998 and 2004 that Jonathan is absurdly attached to and gets really defensive if you criticize. Just, I'm just letting our wait listeners a second. Know that. I'm not absurdly attached. Okay, but I, okay, so I do have some serious uh, bonus info. 
if anyone is looking for another phenomenal movie that came out around this time frame that also stars Kieran Culkin, because for those of you that don't know, he is a phenomenal actor. Uh, it's called Igby Goes Down, and it is fucking fantastic if you've never seen it. So bonus info for everybody. <laughs> what? I'm, okay, that, that was bonus okay, info. Okay, Look, right, I'm yeah, cool sure. that you don't. I'm cool that you don't like it. I'm cool that you don't like it. I, I knew that there would there would be some aspects you didn't care for. Yeah, um, I, I generally liked it fine. too. I generally liked it. It's just like it was, you know, it was the middle of the road for me. Whereas obviously, you know, you like this movie a lot. I feel like that part of your life is just dead inside. So <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for you to flash back to those tumultuous times of okay, 2002. All right. Let's not go down this road, motherfucker. Because I'm in, I'm in the fucking artistic bubble, like with those years of my life right now, trying to like, trying to like create a work of art out of our shitty childhood. All right, so maybe I'm a little bit. Uh, See, that's why I thought maybe you would. That's why I thought maybe you'd kind of be on board with like what they were trying to do a little, uh, little more. I'm sorry, dude. I'm, I'm more talented than these guys who made this movie. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Confidence yeah, is key, people. Level, uh, um, whoever the fuck wrote this, you know? So let's go to one that we both have. Re- obviously, I recently watched and you just recently rewatched. And uh, let's talk about Andre Rublev. All right. So Andre Rublev, I wanted you to watch this movie because I have a little bit of a Tarkovsky problem. <laughs> Not problem, but just kind of conundrum where it's one of those things where I'm like, I really think there's something to his movies but I don't think I've quite gotten it yet. If that makes sense. Like I, there's something there, but I'm just not quite getting it. And I've seen, um, I've seen most of his movies. I haven't seen a couple of his later works, but so I wanted you to watch Andre Rublev. Um, it's three hours long. (laughs) It's a movie about a Russian monk who paints, um, you know, I watched this for the first time and I was like, this fucking sucks. And then I watched, um, this was like 10 years ago. And then I watched, uh, some of his other movies. Like, like for instance, I watched Andre Rublev and then I watched mirror and I was like, what is the deal with this guy? He fucking sucks. And then I watched stalker and I was like, oh my God, he's a genius. Then I watched Solaris and I was like, oh my God, he's a genius. And so then I went back and visited these movies and was like, I think he's a genius, but I don't know. And so, so yeah, I kind of have a Tarkovsky. Maybe I should have just suggested we do a Tarkovsky episode, but I don't know. These are the two on my mind. So you know, Andre Rublev is what you get. So let me tell you something real quick before uh, I talk about the movie. Here we go. Folks. I start this movie. No, 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 no. I, I'm I'm over the other thing. Um, so. So first, well, actually, I should point out, I watched the three-hour version of this, but IMDb says there's a three-hour, 25-minute version. Did I miss something? Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. I watched the three-hour version of this on Criterion, but IMDb is saying it's three hours and 25 minutes, but the version I watched was three hours and four minutes. Oh, yeah. No, so the three-hour and 25-minute version is the original version that the Soviet censors then cut down to three hours. They basically shaved off like 20 minutes. And then after they shaved off 20 minutes, Tarkovsky was like, oh yeah, like this is a much better version. Like I should have shaved it off. So it was like, it was like a censored version that he later on approved of and said, yeah, this is the definitive version. Okay. So that like, I, don't, way, I don't even think that three and a half hour version is like viewable. Anywhere. Okay. I put this movie on and 
I see that it's three hours, and I'm immediately angry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm immediately like, you know, we're doing these six packs to have some fun, and this motherfucker gives me a three hour long movie about a fucking Russian monk. Like, so I'm just sitting on my couch and I'm just like angry. So I start the movie and the, and the first 30 minutes goes by and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm like sold on this movie. I'm digging the vibe. I'm digging some of these weird long takes and like, he just lingers so long on certain things. And like, there's, it was hard to follow at times, but like I sent you a text when I was about halfway through and it was like, even when it's hard to follow, there's something oddly moving about it. Right. So one of the the more interesting scenes was in the middle when he's talking and, and, and it switches almost to like him being Jesus or something. Right. It was, it was a really bizarre scene that like, obviously I, I followed it, but I was trying to follow like, cause there was a lot to take in here. I mean, this is a beefy, heavy movie. Right. So this was my first time watching it. I'll probably watch it again at some point. But either way, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was tragic and beautiful and moving. And sometimes it was all of those things at the same time. Right. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was glad I watched it. Glad you suggested it. Uh, yeah, I, I fucking loved it. It was it was epic and it's heavy, but I loved it. I'm glad you liked it. It's you know the I think the most obvious thing with with Tarkovsky is the way that he moves the camera and, and kind of what he does with the camera. And that may seem like an obvious thing to say about any director, but you know, he, he, he wrote a, a memoir about, you know, making his, you know, his the seven movies that he made and he called it sculpting in time. And he, um, that's, that's kind of how he thought about making movies. And, and you can see it in the way that he moves his camera and the things that he lingers on and the, there's just, uh, I mean, the man knows how to create an image and not just an image, but a moving image. And specifically here, his, it's he, the world he's creating is this kind of grubby, dirty, like medieval fucking 1400s Russia. And it's just, I don't know. I think, I think his, the, his visuals get more kind of astonishing in some of his later work when he moves into color. But I do think it, it, the, you know, the visuals are incredible here, but what really I found just devastating this time watching it was how it is. It really is kind of like the journey of the artist. You know what I mean? Like it's in eight chapters and each chapter is kind of a little, uh, miniature miniature, like, well, chapter on the life of this artist and how, you know, you start out with, you know, believing in humanity, you know, and, and, and believing that you can be an artist. And then, you know, and then you go into um, your apprenticeship where you're stuttering, studying under somebody else and other people are jealous of you. And, 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 and then, you know, it just kind of has this evolution and the, the crux of the movie is, uh, that juxtaposition of the scene that you're talking about, the passion of Andre, where he imagines himself to be this kind of Christ figure, not, not kind of to literally be a Christ figure who is kind of like sacrificing himself for his art. He believes in his art so much. And then right after that, we get this, 
you know, the chaos of the uh, Tater, I don't know how you say it, like the T-A-T-A-R, uh, basically the Asian, Asian steppe people who are like invading, um, invading Russia and just like burning shit to the ground and destroying this, um, you know, this cathedral that he's been painting for uh, years. And he just, he enters what's called the silence. He takes a vow of silence and basically completely forsakes art and all its meaning. But then the end happens with the bell. What did you think of that end chapter with the with the kid and the bell? Because I, <laughs> I'll be honest, man, it's one of the most moving things I've seen in a long time. Like, it, I don't know. What, what, what did you think about that? And do you buy my kind of uh, journey of the artist take on this? I a hundred percent buy your journey of the artist take. Like we we talked about that via text, and I thought that was a good way to put it. Of like. It really is that like you're witnessing the the journey, like his journey as an artist, like, and, and I couldn't even imagine dealing with the shit that they had to deal with. I right. mean, with those soldiers. Now, I, I like before I get to the ending, I loved like it was tragic, but I still liked the part when they did like invade and like and they and they destroyed everything. And he's just left like this is one of my favorite parts about examining religion uh, religious fanaticism however you want to frame it because he's just left empty right and then you have then all the vow of silence and all that and then you have uh the the woman that he did that for she's just like look at me like fuck off Mm -hmm. like this is what i'm gonna go do and then it just gets worse and the end almost felt like it was moving but in a really weird way like it was it's it's hard to say. It's almost like he was allowed to somewhat breathe for a moment. Right. Like I don't know. It was I I I loved the last four minutes with that music, and he just moves over the painting. Right. Yeah. Like the the whole thing was just yeah. I mean, it, it's it requires a rewatch for sure. But uh, it was it was a deep movie, and it was probably one of the most like artistically moving films i've seen in quite some time yeah it's like it, it, it's almost like it's an it's an ode to the power of art but the journey that it takes to get there is a harrowing one you know like a difficult one like you know we have to watch a bunch of like bad shit go down and when that bell rings at the end i mean i just oh man like because the, the the tension is almost unbearable. You you know, the ending we should say is basically this kid, this kid uh, builds uh, a bell. Basically, you, you think like you think you know how they made bells, I guess, in the Middle Ages. But boy, does it take a lot of effort to build this fucking bell. And there's this you know tension over whether or not it will ring, and of course it does ring. And the implication is that Andre Rublev stops his vow of silence after that and becomes comes back to making art. And then the last four minutes are this, the whole movie is in black and white, but the last four minutes are this color where the camera is just slowly moving over his paintings. And I love how the paintings, they kind of look like shit in a sense that like, they're like really faded and really old and really, and like, I don't know, man. I just thought that was incredible, man. That music is playing and it's like, it's like, see, this is fucking valuable. 
You know what I mean? Like it's art is self-justifying. And that, that seems corny when I say it out loud and when I like talk about it. But when you're watching the movie, it's the opposite of corny. It's, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. I think. No, I agree. It shows you why, like it was all worth it. Like this entire journey, all of this was validated. Right. Right. And no, I agree. It's, it's really fucking moving. I would give this movie five stars. I forgot to ask you, what would you give Dangerous Lives? Dangerous Lives, I would say three. I would give it a three. Huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I forgot. I forgot to ask a second ago. But no, dude, this movie really was. I'm glad. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you suggested that I watch it, and I, I thoroughly enjoy. It. I think anybody. I know three hours seems daunting, but it's broken up into chapters already. So if you need to handle a couple of chapters at a time, you don't have to sit down and watch all three hours if you if you don't feel like you can. But it's worth watching. I mean, I know that's like breaking the purity of the, you know, the movie or whatever, but I would even recommend that. I mean, yeah, watch treat it like a TV show. Watch a couple of chapters and and come back to it. And um, it's uh I mean, my God. And this was his fucking second movie, man. This was the movie he made as a young man. I just, like, this is not even him at, at his full flower. And it's, 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 it's pretty reflective to be made by a young person. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, I can't even, I can't even comprehend how, you know, he could do something like this. But uh, we'll, we have another Tarkovsky movie to get to, but we'll also probably do an episode on him in the near future. And he only made seven movies. So we can, we could probably cover the rest of his movies in one episode, but he, he would be a, a fun director to talk about, I feel like, because, I don't know, his work, it should be the most boring, pointless shit ever, and it's just not. But uh, what should we do, man? Should we go into the polar opposite of this, or should we go back to the 1980s? Should we go... Let's go into the polar opposite. Let's go into a movie... <laughs> so, so look, this movie's Den of Thieves. There's, there's really... <laughs> There's really only two reasons I wanted you to watch this movie. There's nothing deep here. There's nothing profound here. Uh, one is it's on Netflix. <laughs> and <laughs> well, <laughs> that is one. But I mean, in all seriousness, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I've seen it three times. It's it, it's just a trashy, like, dude. It, okay, it's the other. The big reason is it's a heat copy. Right. It is literally all like like. The guy that cre- the guy that directed it and wrote the screenplay, Christian Gudegast, he he literally made like an ode to Michael Mann, almost in every way. Right. So you have Gerard Butler, and he's just. So I didn't coin this, so I can't take credit for it. Someone described Gerard Butler as the king of trash cinema, <laughs> and they are a hundred percent right. Right. Because dude, his movies like they're not like the most like they're not the best. But there's so much fucking fun and he chews the scenery and he's so over the top and he was so great in this movie. And I just wanted you to watch it to experience the heat rip off. But it also had a legitimately good shootout. Like the sound was good. The guns were like it was it was a fun movie and I wanted you to watch it. It worked out specifically because we just did Michael Mann and you had talked about movies that rip off heat. And this is the like epitome of that movie. What did you think? I I could not have loved this movie more than I did. <laughs> it is it, this movie is heat for idiots and like the uh, remember those books like uh, you know Greek history for dummies or whatever. This was like heat for dummies and 
I, I could not have loved it anymore. That I mean, Gerard Butler is so bad good in this movie. Like, like I, I mean, I don't think we really even have like. Uh, I don't think we even really have a good way of like talking about acting, even like a hundred years after the birth of cinema. Like, because this is a good performance. Like. <laughs> Like this is an actual good performance from him, but it's, it's the opposite of what we think of when we think of good performances. He's so slovenly and so corny and so just not put together. He he has like this divorced guy energy times a billion. And it's like, I just love it so much. Like he brings so much to the table and he's so like, I don't even know how to describe it, man. He, he, he like he he thinks he's tough and cool, and so by a bizarre turn of events, he kind of is. Like he has all these fucking bracelets and watches and shit, and he says all this weird, corny shit that he thinks is cool, and like it just fucking owns, man. And the actual, um, the actual like action scenes and stuff like that, and the heist scenes are incredible. I think this does an interesting thing that that like the oceans 11 movies do where they don't tell you the plan of the heist before they do the heist. So while they're doing the whole heist thing, you're having to figure it out and like, okay, wait, what are they doing now? And that is a really, really fun element. You know, it, it fuck man. I, don't, I mean, what can you say about this? This movie's a blast. This, I read a, I read a review. This is going to seem like it's out of left field, but I read, um, there's this film critic from, uh, the like late thirties and early forties named o- Otis Ferguson. He wrote for the new Republic and he wrote about this movie and he was like, he, he was talking about how, like he said, I never want to walk out of a movie. And he, or he said, I, I never want to walk out of like a bad movie. He said, because when a movie is just supposed to be entertaining, he was like, then I just like lull into like a false sense of like security. And I just like enjoy the movie. But he was like, when a movie is supposed to be profound and it's bad, he was like, that's when I want to walk out of the movie because it's like, it's just gets pretentious and, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's harder to watch than a bad movie that, that is just like going through the paces. And I feel like that's the way Den of Thieves is like, it's just going through the paces and it's a fucking blast, man. I, I, I could not have loved it more. Gerard Butler brings like an almost like Nicolas Cage energy to this performance, but like way more subdued and way more. It's like Nicolas Cage that's been hit with a tranquilizer dart or something. It's uh, I don't know, man, go fucking watch this movie. I know all you have Netflix out there. Just go turn it on on a Friday night and enjoy yourself. It's wild. Well, I, I'm glad you liked it because it kind of validates how much I liked it because I wasn't sure if it was because I'm obsessed with heist movies or if it's because it was legitimately good. And uh, I do think this is legitimately good. This is not a movie to hate watch or it's ironically good. Right, right. I think you're right. Gerard Butler does his job. Dude, that scene when he goes into the house to sign the paper and his wife is like on a date with another dude and they're like having a dinner party. That's a great fucking scene. It, it's a legitimately good scene. Like he's hanging around like a, like like a drunkard who won't leave the bar, and he's eating their food and acting like such a slob. It's hilarious, and yeah, it's just really good. And also, Pablo Schreiber, who plays the guy that is the leader of the pack or whatever, some nobody told him that he wasn't in heat because he brought yes. it. Like he had this intensity about yes. him. 
everybody and, thinks uh, everybody thinks they're in heat except for Gerard Butler, who thinks he's in like Gamer Four. You know, remember that movie Gamer? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, dude. It took me a long time to get on board with Gerard Butler and what he's trying to do because I used to like. I used to just be like, man, he sucks. He's only in shit movies. And then it's like, no, that's not the case. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, dude, yeah, I'm glad you like this movie. It's a fun watch. We don't always need deep thinking movies that make us reflect or this or that. Sometimes it's just fun to put on like a Den of Thieves or Transformers or whatever the fuck. Like, they're just, they're fun. And this movie was one of those fun movies where you can just sit back and enjoy it and be like, yeah, I've seen this before. And I've seen a better version of it, but this is fun too. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, that's, it's, yeah, that, that's the best kind of movie to watch where you just literally just turn your brain off and just enjoy. And I, I'll tell you something Gerard Butler is doing in this movie. And this is going to sound like, this is going to sound like I'm making him out to be something that he's not. I don't, I don't even know if he's aware of it, but he's like channeling this energy that is like a guy who like, you know, and I know you'll know this guy instantly when I talk when I say it. Like a guy from the suburbs who like owns uh like a I don't know a, a sea do uh like jet ski dealership or something, and like is like recently divorced or something, or he's on the way out and like has custody of his kids and gets to see his kids like three days a week or something, and like is like hitting like his like stride at like 40 and like drinks a lot and like wears a bunch of rings and wears like a skull cap and wears like uh like um ed hardy is that the name of the guy wears like ed hardy shirts and they're like v-necks and shit and like gerard butler is channeling into that energy like so well and maybe it's because he's that guy in real life i don't know i don't know gerard butler but like I, that's just amazing to me. You know what I mean? Like how he just like, like I looked at it and I was just like, wow, like that is, there are guys all over the fucking Southern United States suburbs who look and act like this. And it, it just fucking rules, man. I just want to say thank you for not uh, including someone who's covered in tattoos in your breakdown. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Because I don't want to follow that. Oh, oh, do you feel? Um, oh, am, I, am I describing you? Oh, no, no, no. I don't wear rings or act like an idiot or do any of that shit. I just, it was funny because I was waiting for you to say he has a lot of tattoos and I was going to be like, damn. No, it. the guy, no, the um, guy that I'm thinking of has like one tattoo like over his like. And it's like a sun or like a band. Yes. yes yeah, yeah. Or it's just like a, like a hyper realistic like tiger or whatever. And it's like it's yeah. like brand new, you know what I mean? Like not faded at all. Like yeah, I just got this thing. Cost me ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it's like, look, I'll say this, but I'll, I'll, I'll first I'll say, look, just be you, man. But I will say, like wallet chains and rings, I retired at the appropriate age, which I feel is around twenty two. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> oh, fuck. so. Uh, yeah, but more power to you. Uh, anyway, how many stars would you give this movie? Oh, I mean, I want to give it five. <laughs> I mean, realistic. I'm done. Realistically, I'm realistically, probably four. <laughs> but like, I mean, I fucking loved it, man. I feel like there's not a rating scale for this movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's not. It's really a rating scale isn't fair to a movie like this because it's like I can't give this the same rating I would give Heat. Right. But it's like you're fun. 
and you're awesome. So I don't like you, you exist outside of that. Right. Like if I'm being like real, like rigid and hard, I'd be like, I don't know, like three and a half, but like, but like I enjoyed it more than I did most three and a half movies. So it's not, you know what I mean? It's yeah, this is Den of Thieves transcends the scale, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, well, I'm glad you liked it. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, it's like Jacob said, it's on Netflix. Watch it. Everybody has it. It's worth the two hours and 20 minutes. Uh, Ice Cube Son is in it, and he's really good too. Oh so, yeah. yeah, oh, and the and I'm, I, I definitely won't give it away because a lot of the enjoyment is based on this. But the uh, the ending, the uh, God, I love movies with like fucking idiot like twist endings. You know what I mean? Where you're like, this makes that was the dumbest twist ending I think I've oh, ever seen in my entire. So life. stupid. It's the kind of ending that like when I was like 13, I would have my mind would have been blown you know what i mean like <laughs> well you know i'm glad we got that ending because that's gonna give us a sequel so we're good oh i am too like it's like i, I like this movie would not have been den of thieves had it not been for just an absolutely just mind-blowingly stupid twist ending and then like for no reason at all ufc fighter michael bisping shows up in that bar and it's just even weirder <laughs> Because he, like, serves him a drink, and it's like, what are you doing? Like, what is going on? Dude, and the fucking the fucking people who ordered the Chinese food were in on it. Do you, like, do you realize how insane that is and how it doesn't make any sense whatsoever? Like. <laughs> yeah, n- nothing. If you think about it, nothing, it's like, oh, and it's like, oh, you think, I, was, I forgot what set it off, but it's like, oh, you think I'm the mastermind? I, I don't know what it yeah. was, but it was like, oh, then you see these flashbacks, and you're just like, huh. <laughs> oh okay all right uh anyways yeah it fucking rolls go watch ten of thieves guys now let's uh let's talk about the third and final movie i watched that you recommended called the mirror another tarkovsky movie yeah this one uh you know i wanted you to watch this one and full disclosure i i had some shit come up and didn't have time to rewatch this uh before the podcast uh count your lucky stars (laughs) <laughs> I, I I actually um, made it through Solaris, but I wanted to watch Solaris before I watched uh, The Mirror again. But yeah, this is a movie that I mean, it's inscrutable. Um, it really is. It's it's really kind of um, I mean, it's really an inscrutable kind of movie from Tarkovsky. And I think it's interesting because Tarkovsky made this in between Solaris and Stalker, which are probably his most accessible works. I think definitely more accessible than Andrew Rublev, even though I think Andrew Rublev is perfectly accessible if you're willing to spend three hours in 1400 Russia, but um, a really personal work, kind of like an essay film almost. Um, I don't know, man. What did you think about this? I I kind of chose it on a lark because I was like, I really want to talk about Tarkovsky a lot, but I don't know. What What did you think? Yeah, I appreciate that. I really want to talk about Tarkovsky a lot, so I'm going to punish my co-host, who hasn't done anything to me, but I'm going to do it anyway. You made me watch the incest uh, cartoon movie, so... You son of a bitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Look, man, so so I watched this movie last. I loved the first two. I've already said that. Like, I, I genuinely enjoyed them. 400 Blows, I will probably watch again, like, put it in my rotation of, of movies I rewatched, but, um... I, I dude, I, I couldn't get into this movie. I didn't like it. There there just wasn't a lot there. Like I think like culturally and the way Tarkovsky did some things is what threw me off because this seems like a pretty universal type of story. Cause it's about like 
I'll just read the synopsis from IMDb. A dying man in his 40s, like, remembers his past, his childhood, mother, war, all that shit, like, basically going through the history of, of, of Russia. And, like, on, on the one hand, of course that's somewhat relatable. Right. Like you're, you're revisiting your life. Like you're, this isn't like a, an issue of your life is flashing before your eyes. This is like, no, I'm literally revisiting moments in my life and highlights in my life that have made me who I am because my life is going to end. I feel like that should be something that's relatable and interesting and stuff. I just, it really fell right. hollow. There is not anything I enjoyed about this movie. If I'm being <laughs> honest. Like, there's just not. Like, this is Persona all over again. Right, 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 right. And I'm not even being like, like, I understand, I, I, I guess this is a classic. Like, I don't know how highly respected this movie is, so it's probably something I'm missing, but I just, I didn't enjoy it. You know, okay, here's a conversation that I think we should have about these kinds of movies, because... I know you like to go into the mo- these movies going in dry, right? Like just completely like don't know anything about it. Like let's go. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I I, prefer I, that. I don't really like doing that personally, but I also think like I don't know. I'm wondering how our listeners feel about this kind of thing because I feel like there's some movies where that's a real disadvantage. I mean, wh- I don't, what do you think about that? Do you think that it is? Do you think that every movie should be able to be appreciated without? kind of hearing about it or reading about anything in advance probably right a hundred percent i feel like in a roundabout way this plays into how we talked about the bullshit going on with all these universes where you have to read this or watch that in order to get the movie in order to enjoy the movie and feel immersed into the whatever i don't want to have to read about Tarkovsky's intentions or any of that. If I want to read about it after, because I was so like taken in by the movie, I now want to learn more about it. That's totally fine because movies are art. And like, if you want to read about them and learn what the intent was or any of that, that's fine. But if there's a movie I have to go into and I have to like know what their intentions were or something for me to enjoy it. No, I think that's, I I just, I can't get on board with that personally. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, um, I don't know. It's it's such a complicated thing because I can't imagine going into a movie like Mirror and not really knowing anything about it. But I also think like, well, shouldn't it be able to stand on its own? And then I think, well, should it? I mean, you know, maybe there are some movies that only kind of reveal their meanings with like multiple viewings or, you know, I... I don't know. I, I feel like this question is not decided in my brain yet. You know what I mean? How much how much effort is really necessary? Like I think about Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is one of my favorite movies of all time. However, I don't think I understood it the first time through. But on subsequent viewings, I don't know. Do you have movies like that? Or do you feel like there are do you feel like all the movies that you like you appreciate on the first viewing? Oh, no, absolutely not. I, there's a ton of movies. Uh, I say that and then ironically immediately can't think of any. But there are there are a lot of movies that I watch and I either don't fully get or I may not even enjoy that much. But I know for a fact it is something to do with my feelings that I have at the right. time or there's something outside of this that's affecting it. So I'll revisit it and be like, oh, right. now I get it or now I like it. Yeah. No, 100%. And it's funny you say Mulholland Drive because that was one of those movies for right. me. The first time I watched it, I didn't know what the fuck right. was going on. 
And then I watched it again and I'm like, okay, well I'm kind of starting to get it, but I don't feel like you can ever really understand a movie like that anyway. Ooh, that's a debate we'll have to have for a different time. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things. So, so no, I agree with you. I think there are some movies that, yeah, you can appreciate more or learn more upon revisiting. My thing is with mirror is it didn't do its job good enough to make me want to revisit because I finished it and I'm like, I just, I don't care about anything else. Right. 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 No. And that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. No, I, I, I see the distinction there because I think, because there are some movies like that where you're like, I don't know what's going on and what's more, I don't give a shit what's going on, you know? But then there are some things you see. And I think that's my kind of overall feeling on Tarkovsky, which is uh, there's something there I'm not getting, but it makes me want to try to figure out what's there, you know, but then there's some people where you're just like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I don't, I don't care what's going on there. I don't really need to know moving on, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know. What can I say? You know? And to be honest, I do regret picking it a little bit. Cause I was like two Tarkovsky movies. I don't know, you know, but I, I don't know. But then you did it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but then I did it anyways, because fuck you. <laughs> um, no, I will say that it. I don't regret watching it, because I mean, I think that would be a foolish statement to even make um, about a movie like that. It's just, yeah, it's just one of those I didn't, I just didn't, I couldn't get, I didn't get on, I couldn't relate to or get on board with it. But I will once again wholeheartedly admit, as I have done on this podcast several times, that it. it I'm sure it was something that I didn't re- I didn't understand or didn't relate to on some level because I'm sure a lot of people love that movie. So that's so, just like, let me ask you one last question about this. Cause I, I, I don't think because you brought up persona. I think, I think mirror is a little bit more understandable than persona. I think persona is almost in some ways purposefully uh, like obscure, you know, in certain spots. Um, but take a movie like that or take a movie like uh like the like mirror or you know movies like that where maybe your intention or the the goal of it is not really to give you like a conventional experience like andre rublev 400 blows or den of thieves you know all of those are related in the sense that they're narratives that you know are either they work or they don't what do you think about the kind of thing of like really experimental cinema where you're like, I'm just watching images and there is no rhyme or reason to them. I'm just kind of letting them wash over me because I kind of have two minds. One of them, I'm kind of like, yeah, I buy that. I mean, I I can, I could get into that. And the other, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Is it really, is it really cinema? You know? I mean, at that point I would classify it as more or less like some form of moving, art right like, that's not because i know you can make the argument cinema is moving I mean, art but you know what i mean cinema has like it's kind of outside of that yeah so i feel like if it's a movie you can put on a monitor in a gallery and just flash the images and and that's it like i i don't particularly like right. that unless i know that's what i'm going right. to watch if i sit down and somebody's like hey you know check this out it's 90 minutes of beautiful imagery and there's no, it's not really a movie per se. And then I'd treat it more right. like a documentary. Right. And then I'd be like, okay, yeah, I can get on board with this. But if I'm sitting down to watch a movie and that's what I get, I'm probably going to be unhappy. I got you. Yeah. And I can see how that, how blurring those lines can kind of be, because you're right. It's not conventional cinema. It's not what we think of when we think of the 20th century phenomenon of cinema, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, you want to move on to the, uh, the final, the final one here. 
Yeah, so once again, nothing real deep here. Uh, I wanted you to watch Enemy Mine. One is, I haven't seen it in a while. It was on HBO Max, and I was like, he has HBO Max. It'll be free. Let's watch it. So then I watched it again. Fucking loved it just as much as I did before. Like, I've seen it probably six or seven times over the years. But then I was like, fuck, we should do a Wolfgang Peterson episode. This motherfucker directed In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, and Troy, like all in a row. And those are all like pretty good movies. Like, it seems like uh, he's an interesting guy. So, yeah, that's it. What do you think of any of mine? Uh, first of all, I'd be down for doing a Wolfgang Peterson episode. He, he did Das Boot, too. Yeah, Das Boot is fucking great. This movie. Hmm. Where to start? <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, just 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 go ahead and rip the bandaid off. Did you like this movie? Yes or no? I like some things about it. Um, I'll explain. All right, so Enemy okay. Mine is a movie about a guy <laughs> who crash lands on an alien planet, and he runs into a race, a a, a person of uh, an alien. <laughs> he runs into an alien. You're doing job <laughs> are you doing <laughs> look it, it, it mankind wants to take over the stars the way we took over like the earth, the earth and then we run into another another being out there aliens they're called drax and as mankind does we're like fuck it we'll just kill them so we start a war with them where they're having a fight like a dog fight with spaceships both of them crash land on this planet neither one of them are familiar with and from then on out it's the age-old story of like the world war ii soldier and the kamikaze pilot type thing where it's like like you know one of the pilots that didn't die of course uh, where it's like they <laughs> learn how to get along <laughs> where they just learn how to get along and like they have to survive and uh that's it man that's this whole movie this whole movie is about uh, relationships with something that you were programmed to hate. And in my opinion, it's kind of still socially relevant, even if you look past the hokey nature of the 80s sci-fi. Now, you know, I, I yeah, it, it is kind of one of those, they live, you know, socially conscious uh, 80s genre movies. You know, look, I don't like Dennis Quaid. I've never really been a big fan. There's just something about his like, line reading that just really rubs me the wrong way and i cannot put my finger on it i don't know every actor has their own little ticks you know and i just i just can't uh i just can't get dennis quaid's there's just something awful about him and i can't really explain it that movie the day after tomorrow uh and the i love that movie dude I like that movie, I guess. I mean, it's been years since I've seen it, but there's just something about him that just annoys the fucking shit out of me, and I cannot put my finger on it. Well, it's funny you say that movie because that falls into the other the other category we were talking about of like, none of this makes any sense. I shouldn't like this movie, but it's fun, so I do. Right. Like, Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, you just kind of have biases against certain actors, I feel like. And having Lou Gossett Jr. <laughs> play the alien with all that makeup on i mean it's just strange and the the weird language that he's speaking and dennis quaid's fake beard look there's a lot to not like about this movie but i will say (laughs) i will say one thing that i really really enjoyed 
was like the eighties, like set design and like set direction and special effects because like the like pink sky and like the alien landscape and the spaceships and all that shit. Like eighties was such like an iconic time for action movies that there, there aren't really a lot of eighties sci-fi movies. And I don't know the aesthetics of it. I just thought were incredible. And I love that kind of like big budget studio movie uh, feel like all the, all the sci-fi set direction and all that shit. But the story itself and the acting, uh, I don't know, man. It just really, it just really came up short with me. I, I, I don't know. I found it kind of like corny and not in a fun way. It was just like I'm, I'm not moved by this. I don't like, I don't really buy Dennis Quaid like changing, and I don't care if he did or not. I don't know. I will say the scene, <laughs> the scene in the body bag when he's in the body bag and about to be evacuated is. One of the best scenes I've seen probably the past week or so. I don't know. Well, I tried, you know, I'll tell I tried you. to like this movie, but I just, I don't know. This isn't one of those movies I'm married to per se. I just, it, you know, you have, cause there's, 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 there's thousands and thousands of movies, right? And you have these movies that for some reason or another, they just stick with right. you. Like enemy mind shouldn't be a movie that I rewatch once every three years or so, but it is, I can't tell you why really. <laughs> It's just, I remember my dad renting it when I was really little and like, I I wasn't supposed to watch it because it was PG-13, but I did watch it anyway. And it was just like, this is so fucking cool. And then I just remember being like, as a kid, just really enjoying the story. Dude, I'm sorry. If you're not moved, like even if it's in like, you have to get past the corniness, but when he goes back to get him and like the kid calling him uncle, like, dude, that's some that's some that's some cool shit, man. I don't know. Like, I understand that it's cheesy in a way, but you kind of have to remove that level to kind of get through it. And uh, yeah, I, I dug it, man. I thought there was some actually some heart there. I know it was cheesy, but I thought it was cheesy in like the best ways. You know, I, I didn't hate it. Like, I didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't like it. Was it like there was never a moment where I'm like, oh, I wish I wasn't watching this, which I think is the really the worst thing you can say about a movie. But I I really wasn't taken in by the story. I mean, I, I will say one thing that kind of shocked me in a good way was <laughs> even describing this, I feel like an insane person describing a fever dream. Um, but <laughs> but when, when the Lou Gossett Jr. fucking dies and in childbirth, uh, he's a man who has a baby. Hey, he's not a man. He they they are not genderless. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. They're they're genderless creatures from outer space, and he has a child, uh, which I guess he has like with no like, like what do they call it when you just have a kid? He's like an amoeba or something. Isn't it like, yeah, isn't it like asexual yeah, or something? Asexual like you reproduction. Can, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then he like dies in the very conventional childbirth. Like they could have done anything. They could have been like, Hey, you laid an egg and there's a kid, but no, he, he has like a big swollen stomach and he has the kid, the traditional way. And, and dude, it's great because they get a little slapsticky with it because they're literally arguing like a couple, <laughs> like they're arguing, like, like when, when he's pregnant, like walking around the hut. Right. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, what can you say? This movie is like a fever dream. It really is. Uh, and then 
he raises the fucking kid. Like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see him raising one of these fucking kids as his own. Um, you know, I, I it's it's fine. It, it, I'll say this. If it's midnight on a Friday night and you're stoned and or drunk, please turn this movie on. Just, <laughs> just turn it on and well, let it wash over you, you know? Two things real quick I'll say. One is when he discovered there were this wasn't an accident and, and this this was in 1985 and here we are uh was that uh, 35 years later is my math right on that 35 um here we are like years down the line the way he found out humans were on that planet is because he found garbage oh right so that's nice and then the other thing is i thought it was profound when he said don't die you'll leave me alone and he he implied he was like you'll always be alone because of how your culture separates your beings. <laughs> right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's like, dude, there's some profound shit inside this hokey rubber suit. No, that's true. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, man. I, yeah. I can't believe they right, made him wear that were... rubber suit. Dude, the 80s were fucking wild, where they could be like, hey, uh, we're going to make this uh, bromance uh, between an alien and Dennis Quaid, and uh, you have to wear a suit that takes you like eight hours to put on. Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we know you can't breathe very well. We don't give a fuck. Uh, you'll eat in twelve hours. Uh, shut the fuck up. Let's do the that, scene. Uh, that that pain in your right lung, yeah, that's a, a a paint that you're inhaling that you shouldn't be breathing in. But uh, anyways, here we go. Action. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, just just shut up, Mister Gossett. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm uh, I'm glad you didn't absolutely hate it. I really wasn't sure. Like I said, honestly, there wasn't a lot of profound thought that went into getting you to watch this. It was free, and I really dig the movie. It's been one that stayed with me for years, so I was kind of curious to see what you thought about it. It's so. just one. It's one of those things, and I, I really cannot like. I know that sounds like faint praise, but like really, like the vi- like the visuals of this, like the the special effects, the background, and the sets, like it cannot be emphasized enough. When you watch a movie like this today, all that shit is fucking fake. It's invented in a computer and this shit is real like even if the even if the like the the sky on this alien planet is a painting it's a painting it's real paint on canvas you know like and the the stuff that's being constructed is it exists in physical space and like i'm sorry dude that's just like that sounds like you know get off my lawn shit but it's true like you, you this is the type of shit that you cannot you just can't see in new movies it's like it's like from a different era, you know? Also, Return of the Jedi came out in 1983, and mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Wolfgang, because you ripped off the Sarlacc pit, you son of a bitch. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, don't even... Yeah, don't even... <laughs> when, when Dennis Quaid gets, like, involved in antics without Luke Gossett Jr., I, like, I just instantly, like, tuned out. I was just like, I... Please get eaten. I don't give a Dude, shit. These are the things that I just... I, I love about... This movie, just this is the last thing I'll say is the fact that, dude, that monster literally eats one of those bug things. You hear him chew it like in a comedic way. And then he spits up the shell like 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 a cartoon. And then he burps. (laughs) It is awesome. Like, that's the kind of shit I feel like we don't get. The 80s were wild, man. Like, legit. Like, yeah, this is and like 
this is the kind of movie I like watching from back then that like nobody remembers. You know, like there, I guarantee you, there's not a single person who's like, actually, uh, Enemy Mine is an unsung masterpiece of like. No, this is a movie no one remembers but you, and like it's just cultural detritus, and I love it. You know what I mean? Like this is this is exactly the type of thing that would be on the the bottom of the back row of an old video store, and like you get by accident and then you watch it and you finish the whole thing because you paid, you know, $4 for it. Yeah. And, and those are the movies that I I really do. I find you can find the most joy in because it's like, yeah, enemy mine. Isn't like this, like profound hidden gem from the eighties. It's probably just something you've never heard of in your life. And then you're going to watch it and be like, am I high? (laughs) But it's still cool. So was there acid on that pizza that I just ate? So yeah, dude, no, I'm, I'm glad you didn't hate it. Uh, at least you got something out no, of it. It's, so. Are you kidding me? It's impossible uh, to hate a movie like this. How many uh, stars would you give it? I guess three. Uh, the, the movies you're suggesting. The same amount is the same amount as danger. Okay. Okay. Look, that's dude, fine. That's you're, fine. The movies you're suggesting exist outside like the space and time boundary of our rating system. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. It is. It's very much a compliment. Like, how do you rate? Like, (laughs) how would you? How would you rate? Like, what would Roger Ebert say about Enemy Mine? Like, (laughs) it's like the movies you're suggesting exist out time outside of the space time continuum. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like thumbs upside down. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What if, what if he was like, bite both thumbs off and spit them at the camera <laughs> angrily? That's my rating for this movie. Oh, that's incredible. Okay. Well, guys, uh, that was our, our silver screen six pack. Um, you know, it wasn't the, the episode I planned on doing with Marvel, but just here nor there. Um, yeah, so that that was good. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, as we said, we do have another six pack episode, and if we, you know, if we get some requests uh, after after we did the last one, we did have a couple people say, "Hey, you know, we'd like you to do another one." So we decided to do it. So a few more, you speak out and let us know that you like these. Also, give us some suggestions. We could do a silver screen six pack and share it with the audience, giving us with you guys giving us some suggestions. So yeah. um, that would be cool too. So do you have anything you want to add or anything before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, just one last thing I want to say, which is... That's, that's, not, that's not how you speak drag. <laughs> that's not how you speak drag. You know what I said in drag? I said what? Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys was actually a two. That's what I said. Wow. You, you son of a bitch. Um... <laughs> I will I will say this, uh, the closing thing about Enemy Mind, I'm so glad you just said this. Dude, nobody paid attention to story very much, obviously, when it came to this movie. So when their friend pops up after like three years, they walk in the door, all three of them. We saw them in the beginning. We know they've known yeah. him. They walk in laughing, talking about, yeah, that'll be him, right? And it's like, are you fucking nuts? <laughs> He's been gone for three. Dude, he was fucking Tom Hanks and Castaway times 100. You, there's nothing about your friend that's still going to exist. Right. 
So it's like, oh yeah, he really liked pizza, didn't he? Yeah, well, he spent the last three years eating aliens, <laughs> so I don't know how he's gonna feel about pizza. Now. Oh, and I love at the end when he when he's like, when he's when they're like, you can't take that ship out, and he's like, I'm gonna take the ship out, and they're like, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no one explicitly told me not to do this. It's like, okay, yeah. here you go. <laughs> oh man, good shit. Okay, guys. Well, uh, you know the drill. Instagram, email us, voicemails. Uh, still getting some good feedback on Instagram. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening. And tell your friends, rate and review, whatever you got to do to get the word out. We want to keep this thing growing. We're seeing a lot of growth, and we appreciate uh, you guys that are listening. So aside from that, thank you for listening to this episode, and we will see you next week. <laughs>